Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Charlie Bird. Welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Thank you. We're going to talk about Charlie's new book out at Desert Boat called Without Without the Mask. And um, it's about Charlie's story as a gay Latter-day Saint. Charlie and I offered a prayer before we started. We hope this podcast is helpful to our listeners those of you that are LGBTQ, those of you that are LDS, those of you that just want to better understand this space. Um, Charlie's been on the episode before. He's a returning guest. He was on episode 96 back in February of 2019. If you'd like to hear more of his story, um, you can refer to that podcast. I listened to Charlie's podca- podcast, um, From LDS Living. Is that the platform? Yeah, it, yeah. That's episode 84. That's a podcast called All In hosted by Morgan Davis. Great podcast. Charlie did such a wonderful job. And um, this will be some of the same content of that podcast, but also we'll expand on some of the things. But let's just start, Charlie, with this letter to the reader. I love that, you know, you could even read it if you want to, or just paraphrase what's in this letter to the reader introducing the book to um, readers. Yeah. So before I started writing the book, I was, I was kind of nervous and I was thinking, you know, with my entire life, what would I put in a book? Like where, where do I go from here? And before I started writing the book, I wrote down a list of like everything I wanted to cover and I didn't know how to organize it, how, how to do it. And then I was thinking, you know, what is my, why, like, why am I working on this? Why am I writing it? I, I realized that I wanted to write the book that I never had growing up. Um, and I, and I kind of took cross sections of my life when I was 14, when I was 18, before my mission, right when I returned home. And then just a couple years ago, right before I came out publicly and, and said, what did I need then? What was I dealing with? What, what were my emotions? And, and, um, and then at the same time, like, what would my family have benefited from when I was in the closet and, and they didn't know for those 10 to 12 years before I told anyone. And then, um, as I was coming out, like, what would have helped my family? And so I decided that I would just kind of write the resource or the book that I would have needed growing up and kind of like everything I wish I could have told myself. And so I wrote this letter to the reader explaining that, that, that I'm writing that book for 14 year old me and for the first Bishop that I came out to and for, and then just kind of going, taking that a step further, you know, um, a, a young women's leader who doesn't know how to how to teach gospel principles and also be welcoming to the LGBTQ people that may or may not be in her class. And so I wrote that and it kind of grounded me as I decided what to put in the book and how to tell stories. So um, it's cool. In fact, I I never expected it to be part of the book. That was just kind of my own personal like guide for how I was going to write. And then um, one of my editors found it and just, just loved it and said, this has to be in there. I love that. And I love the, the idea. You're 26 now. You're um, back at BYU. You're working on a master's of social work, I believe, and wanting to become a clinical therapist. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And so this is roughly 14 or 12 years ago, 26 minus 12 is 14. And I just love that concept. Um, I think our listeners know you, but just by way of introduction, Charlie Bird, you know, is, is known as Cosmo from his BYU days. And I remember reading an article um, when you came out, a Desert News article that talked about you performed live at ESPN College Awards, 
and the NBC and NBC dubbed 2017-2018 the year of the mascot in honor of Cosmo's viral influence that I think had millions and millions of views. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's when I became aware of you. I just recognized you. All the Cosmos are Osler family favorites. We have a lot of BYU blood, but there was something special about your year and your ability to bring life into that brand and connect Cosmo with the Cougar fans across the world. Um, and so you've had a very unique life uh, mission. Tell our listeners where you did serve your own mission. Yeah, I served in Redlands, California. It's now called San Bernardino. And that was 2013 to 2015. And talk about, um, just talk, and I know this is in episode 96, but just talk about your awareness of your sexual orientation before your mission and your feelings about if that would or wouldn't change and and what it was like to come home from a mission and still identify and still be gay. Yeah, of course. So I was actually really nervous to go on a mission. I wasn't sure if having what I used to call same-sex attraction would um, kind of like inhibit my ability to perform well as a missionary. I was worried about falling in love with a companion or being outed or just just not feeling worthy in general to be serving the Lord and, and like having Jesus Christ's name on my like tag, you know. Um, and, and, you know, in the years before that, I would, I had been trying everything I could do to rid myself of my feelings, you know, prayer and fasting and psychological exercises and self-imposed conversion therapy techniques and, um, just, just doing everything I could to run away from myself. And, um, I ended up going cause, cause I wanted to go, I, I wanted to serve a mission. I wanted that experience of, um, kind of being out of my comfort zone and, and reaching out and helping people. But I, I was definitely aware of the fact that I, I, I was hoping that kind of a side effect of that would be that when I came home, I would be straight. I would be quote unquote normal. And, and I really thought that those feelings would be sealed off due to my diligence and um, respect and, and kind of piousness to God. And um, that did not happen at all. <laughs> and did you think it was your fault, Charlie? I don't know if I knew what to think. You know, I, it, it was funny because it, it kind of, it kind of started a faith crisis in me because I had so much faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ and that it could heal and fix broken things and that through obedience came blessings. So all of these kind of like themes and, and gospel themes that I lived, I had applied to this situation thinking that I was broken, thinking that I needed to be fixed and, um, and really believing that Christ, that God would do that for me. Um, I, I didn't see how it would be possible to live in a world where, where God did accept me. I thought it was something that, that he wanted to change. And so I was like, of course, this is God's will. And if I have enough faith, it will change. Um, looking back, it, it's, it's funny how I, I used all my faith and a lot of my like um, really good qualities and put it into something that wasn't exactly right, you know, and actually was, was kind of damaging. But, but yeah, I was really confused when I came home and I was still gay. You know, I, I was still attracted to men. I didn't know what to do. And it, it sparked a faith crisis in the fact that like all of these things that I believed would happen based on gospel principles didn't happen. So, so what else isn't true? What else is wrong? You know, that's honest. What would, and I want to go back to that. What would you say to your 
I assume you came home at 21. It's uh, yeah, uh-huh. or 21 year. That's five years ago. What would you say to your 21 year old self regarding the faith crisis part of your journey? Um, I honestly, I would say good job. What a great answer. <laughs> I think I handled it. You didn't do it. anything wrong here. <laughs> right. I didn't. I, I honestly did the best I could with the knowledge that I had. And um, I, I did have a lot of feelings of like confusion. And um, I, I don't know if hatred towards God is the right word, but but confusion at, at the situation. And um, rather than just kind of like throw all of that out, I tried to sit and lean into that discomfort and figure out what was happening and kind of sort out my beliefs. Um, I've always been kind of like strategic and tactical about how I've dealt with my orientation. And so when I came home and realized that all of my tactics hadn't worked, it, it, it was a hard blow at the beginning. It was really tough. And I went to a really dark, deep space. However, I, after I kind of like picked myself up and you know, the glass shattered and it, it, it was there on the ground. I, I was looking at it and I was like, okay, I need to try something new because, because nothing's worked in the past and, and let's try a new approach. And that's kind of what led me slowly to start building healthier coping mechanisms and more trust in God that he could love who I am and that he didn't want me to change. Talk about this journey that others have shared on this podcast. It's sort of um, a journey asking God to change you versus a journey that God actually loves this part of a, about you and he, you are created as intended and and he loves this part about you which is helpful to you to accept this part about you this being the part of you that's gay which is hard to just isolate to one part of you just talk about that journey in your life yeah the first time i realized that i had never actually asked god about my orientation I was um, 22 years old. I was in Washington, D.C. on an internship. And like I said, before that moment, I had always just avoided everything, avoided gay people and kind of like shelved that entirely. And I was in D.C. It was Pride Month. It was June. I had gay floor mates in my dorms and gay people at work. And like I couldn't get away from it. And I was initially I was kind of shocked and scared. Like I would see um, husbands holding hands, pushing a stroller in the park. And I, I, I was like offended by it, like really upset to, to see that in public, um, deeply shamed, deeply homophobic. I ended up, I don't know where I got this courage, but I ended up finding a, um, um, an affirmation group that was going to walk and march in the pride parade. Um, and I had a prompting that I needed to go. I, I came across it on Facebook and and I, and I felt very strongly that I needed to go to this. Um, so I think part of it was like a spiritual push, but part of it was just like some courage that came from, I don't know, probably desperation, honestly, because I was just really confused. I didn't know what to do. Um, and, and I, you know, found the courage to go to this um, event. And, and I met, we all met in a bakery before the, before the parade. And I really thought it was a joke. I honestly thought that nobody else would be there or it'd be some sort of like, like troll on the internet that was trying to get people to show up to this bakery. But sure enough, I opened the door and there, there were people there um, with hand painted signs. One of them said, you don't have to push a hand cart to be a pioneer. And <clears throat> looking back, I, I love that sign, you know, and I have a couple pictures of it and it's, it's like a, a really dear memory. But at the beginning I was like, 
this is wildly progressive. <laughs> I was like, I am uncomfortable with this. Um, anyway, I ended up going to talk to them and they were like, you know, I introduced myself. They said, why are you here? And I said, um, I'm Mormon. And then I started freaking out and I was like, what am I doing here? I have got to go. Um, and, and I said, and I'm gay. And I'd never said those words before. Wow. The first time I'd used the term gay to describe myself. And I, I thought I was going to like, I, I just wanted to, to like get out. I did not know what I was doing. I was so overwhelmed. And the guy goes, cool, me too. So are all of us. And, uh, and it was just so normal to them. And, and it was the first time I ever realized that there was kind of another option besides stay in the church and hate yourself or accept yourself and leave the church. Cause that's all I'd really seen from society, like the, these two sides. And, and I, I get that. I, I'd been feeling that pull for so long. And I was leaning on the side of stay in the church and hate yourself. Um, and that was the first time I saw someone like, like a group of people who were um, healthy and accepting of themselves, but also of their faith. And it was a small group, but it was really large comparatively to what I imagined would exist. And um, I had a wonderful day marching in the pride parade. I held the pioneer sign and I, that night I was, I was sitting on the edge of um, the Capitol reflecting pool thinking, just confused, like, what is this? Cause I thought gay people were terrible, but I just had a good day with them and like felt prompted to go to pride. And, and I was like, Ooh, just kind of like blowing my mind, changing my paradigm so quickly. I didn't know what to do with all that information. And I was thinking about religion and my faith. And I thought about, um, Joseph Smith feeling confused. Um, I actually, I, I thought about this Mormon message that I used to watch on my mission. Um, it was this girl that was like listening to headphones and she was confused. And then she like takes the headphones out and realizes that she needs to pray and talk to God. So I don't know why, but I thought of that little video. And then I thought of the, the idea of being confused. And I was like, that's kind of where like the birthplace of this religion came from, like confusion and asking God. I thought of James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And I realized in that moment, I had asked God to change my orientation, but I had never asked him how to honor it. I, I never asked if I should accept it or if I could accept it or if he accepted it. And all of my fear or all of my prayers regarding my orientation, this part of me were fear-based and formal and very guarded with a lot of walls and expecting that God hated me and that he could not love me unless I changed. That was kind of like the mindset I was going. And it's a really powerful statement you just said. So thank you. Yeah. And in, in this, this moment, I was like, you know what? How come my faith has been so fear-based my entire life? And I was thinking about like the, the 10 years before that of just like shame and psychological damage and panic attacks and, and fear and, and wanting to isolate and hide. And I'm sitting there and I'm realizing that those feelings were not my faith. I, let's see if I can describe this. And this is something I'm, I'm kind of learning as I talk about it, you know, and as I process these, these emotions, but, but my faith was so tied to like beautiful experiences and spirituality and, and hope. But there was also this like current of, of fear that stemmed from my orientation that was so intertwined with my faith because it was such like a faith-based um, topic, you know? 
And for the first time, I kind of like unraveled those and saw them that like this side of my faith is beautiful and I love God and I love Jesus Christ and I trust like the power of the priesthood and the power of my covenants. But this entire, uh, like on this other hand, th- this line of it has been really damaging. And and those are not the same things, you know, I like I used to think that I almost like had to feel depressed and bad about myself in order to be good enough for God. And for some reason, all of this, I just had this brief like moment of clarity for like five seconds where I saw it. And I had this overwhelming feeling that I needed to bring that to God and pray about what to do with me. And then it kind of went away. And then I was back to like my normal self, just sitting on the concrete. Um, and wow, like, wow, this idea that like God might accept me. And, you know, I was kind of nervous. I was like, can I actually pray about this? Is this off limits? This is so, it it seemed kind of radical to me, you know, like, God, are you cool with me being gay? Like, that's a question that had never even occurred to me until it was planted there. And, um, but I decided that I was going to, going to prepare and fast and then pray about that and kind of like change my approach. Um, And I don't want to be too much of a broken record because this is in the book. And I talked about this quite a bit in episode 96. Was that my episode? Yeah. About a year and a half ago. 84 with all in. Yeah. So so I, so I talked about that with you before, but I went to the DC temple and I, I finally said this prayer and I had the overwhelming feeling that, that God loved me and that he created me for a purpose and that he, he did accept me and he wanted me to accept myself. And so then it, it kind of like shifted my, my mindset. And in the future, I decided I would live according to the kind of a value of God, here I am. This is me. I'm not going to hide. What should I do with who I am? Like, why, why was I created this way? And how can I use me to lift and inspire and serve? And how can I fulfill the measure of my creation? And And then I was much happier. You know, I, that's an incredibly healthy story and so positive and so insightful in the role of God in our lives. And I think of some things that we've done as society and even in our church to create this level of feeling in our LGBTQ members that God wouldn't like somebody like them. Because a lot of the narrative that I grew up with, I'm nearly 60 has not been very kind towards LGBTQ people in society and even in our own church. And I recognize that part of the reason you got to the spot you got is because, not of you, but because of all the messages you've heard about people like you in the 20 years of your life and how much I love then at the ultimate you turn to God and you got this personal, clear revelation. But it's for us to improve going forward, we have to say kind things about LGBTQ people to help decrease internalized homophobia or transphobia within our members so that they're more likely to believe God could like somebody like them and they can do what you did. And so that's a very helpful story. I sometimes think of things that I've said or have heard like, well, you being gay, Charlie, is just you responding to the natural man. (laughs) And I've been uncomfortable with that because I think the natural man applies equally to gay people and straight people. But you can't do any, you know, to to leave the natural man, to develop the Christ-like attributes, to leave the natural man behind us is within our control. But Mm -hmm. you becoming ungay, if that's a word, is not within your control. 
So putting it on you to say, this is just the natural man, or even the fall, I think in the fall, and the fall to me applies equally to, to both of us and all Latter-day Saints. Um, it just, it, it inter- introduced spiritual and temporal death, but it didn't, but it still should put us all on equal moral footing, straight people and LGBT people. You didn't fall further <laughs> just because you're LGBTQ than somebody that is part of the fall, but straight, because that puts you on different moral footing. And then I think it makes it harder for you to connect with God. Any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I think I'm thinking back to our original podcast again, where if you asked me if there was a button that could make me straight, would I press it? And uh, that actually made it into the book. So oh, uh, way awesome. to go, Papa Osler. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought about it and, and I, I immediately said, no, I, I would not want that. And um, that is kind of the narrative that I was taught for a long time that that I would be like straight after I die and um, or that like I need to, to work towards changing. And that's really damaging. And, and that would... I think there's, there's like a beautiful, like spiritual aspect to who I am and, and that there's a purpose behind it. And it, it's sad to me that people would want to like, or, or that people would, um, kind of insinuate that that shouldn't be a part of me. I want it to be a part of me. I think it's a great blessing and it's a great gift. And the way I was created is unique and special. And it's not like a lot of other people. But, but that's cool, you know, that allows for diversity and growth in, in the building of Zion. And so I, I really love my orientation and, and I hope it's always part of me and I feel like it will be. I love that. So talk about shame and self-loathing and they're really, when you talk about where you are now, Charlie, that to me is just the opposite of shame and self-loathing. It's, it's an appropriate level of self-respect and just, and peace about who you are that to me seems so healthy and all of us straight or LGBTQ people need to get there, but talk about shame and self-loathing and Satan's role to keep you in that space. Yeah. I I firmly believe that the the adversary works best in darkness and that shame and self-loathing are amplified when we're, we're holding onto these things alone. Um, I think God would have us reach out and connect and, and be vulnerable and honest and with, with me, the way that, um, shame and kind of like darkness worked in my life was I felt like if I ever brought anything to light, I would be rejected. And a lot of that pressure came from society. It really did like all of these kind of indicators that I didn't fit in or that God didn't love me or people didn't love me. And so there was that component, but there was also the component, component of me projecting rejection. And because, how do, let's see, I'm onto something here. <laughs> For example, like I, I was so afraid of rejection before I came out, right? And when I did come out, like when I came out to my family, immediately I was loved and accepted and trusted. And all of the fears I had about changing the relationship or ruining things or making like an awkward situation were, were immediately dispelled as soon as I came out. And it was actually a very beautiful spiritual growing experience. But before I came out, I I didn't know that that would be the end result. Right. And so I was just sitting there in, in my shame, in my darkness and worrying about rejection and projecting the, the future rejection. And I was, I was building this scenario that was never going to be my reality, but I was sitting in that and feeding it and fueling it. And it was taking me downward. 
And, you know, I think Satan really likes we're in that when we're in that position, because that's a position of I'm alone. I'm not going to connect. I need to hide. I'm broken. I messed up. People can't love me. And, um, you know, I, I really don't think Satan like quote unquote wins when we mess up or make a mistake. I think he wins when we feel like we aren't able to connect. I think when we believe the lie that we're worthless, I think that's when, when Satan's smiling, you know? And, uh, and when I was, when I was in that dark shame filled space, I was believing the lie that I was worthless, even though all I needed to do was step out into light and, and tell someone and reach out. And I was immediately accepted and, and could like kind of rework these past narratives and, and kind of deal with this trauma in an open space. I, you know, you're 26. It's taken me in the last five years since to learn some of that, Charlie. And that's why I think your voice is so helpful. Um, the book you've written, the podcast you've done, and just your life story. I think Satan's greatest tool is shame. And it can be non-sin-related in sexual orientation. There's nothing you've done that's sin-related in, in being gay and identifying as gay. But there's also transactions that are sin. That's, I agree with you that sometimes Satan doesn't really win at that point. He wins if, if we just feel unworthy of God's love and we pull back from God and, and disconnect from God. I'm sure like you, I've, I was on a call this week with a young man who was suicidal, gay, and he had felt so bad about himself that he, he couldn't believe God would love somebody like him. And most of our conversation was really the principles you're teaching is maybe God does love somebody like you, and maybe you're created the way he intended you to be creative. And I think if he could feel just like you are self-love, that I'm not a mistake, but a divine son of heavenly parents, then, you know, I can love me and that opens the door to God can love me. And it just seems like that's such a much more healthy cycle. Yeah. I think as a community, we can help people feel that God can love them if we remove the weight of the what if, right? So I was living there with this weight of what if I told someone, what if I'm rejected? What if I'm hated? And uh, one of my older sisters, her name's Anne, she really did a great job with me removing the weight of my what if, because I, she was like kind of listening to me. She knows me well, right? We grew up together and she's watching me date and asking me about dating, like some of like the hottest, coolest, most popular girls at BYU. And, uh, I'm like, it was cool. Like we had a fun time, you know, and I'm not really into it. And she's like, what if Charlie's gay? And rather than like confront me with that or try to pry it out of me. She, um, started studying. She's like, I'm going to educate myself on how I can best support him if he is. So she read blogs and, and really like saw that a lot of people in the LDS LGBTQ community are dealing with this, this weight, this shame, this darkness, this self hate. And she said to herself, what am I going to do to make sure that Charlie knows I'm safe? And essentially what she ended up doing is removing the weight of that. What if, what if Anne rejects me? She was like, I'm going to make sure, I don't know if he's gay or not, but I'm going to make sure that if he is, he knows that I will accept and love him. So she would do things and, and share things and, and be like a visible support system in a way that wasn't it, like, it was very tactful and organic. She would, she would make a comment like to me and my brother, like, 
hey, by the way, if either of you are gay, like, I don't care and you can come to me and I love you both. Like, this is something I see people in our community dealing with. And I want you to know that, like, you never have to to live in a, in a dark space with me. And so by the time I was actually ready to tell someone and it kind of like grown into myself, I knew that she would be safe. There was no weight there. And I think how beautiful would it be if our like faith community could do that for other people and show safe, visible love and support and acceptance and help people know that that, that they can come to the light and that the rejection and paranoia and their fears will not be will not come to fruition. I think that would be really nice. And then, you know, just build from there. I love that segment. Um, I got a couple messages this week and you get more than I do, Charlie. Um, That's debatable, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe. You're probably better at answering them. (laughs) I may have more time. (laughs) But a couple parents, active LDS parents that are guessing they've got a gay kid and they're saying, what should I do? And I love what you just taught there that um, the and principle, let's coin that. I call it the and approach. The and approach yep. is I'm not going to out my kid or force the issue, but I'm going to create an environment where I'm saying nice things about marginalized groups of people. And so that I'm, I'm just creating, I'm a safe place. And it may be undocumented workers, people of different races, just all, and, and LGBTQ people. So it's not maybe just LGBTQ. I did that as a YSA bishop the last year. I actually put kind things on social media about LGBTQ people and no more gay kids. Two had already been out to me. No more came out to me, but the straight uh, men and women in my ward said, okay, I can talk to him for the first time about something because I, I just sense I can go there with him and he, he can handle this. And so I think even if we, we as parents or we as local leaders, or we as family and friends don't even suspect we have an LGBTQ person in our family, I think it's a principle of just ministering is to say kind things about marginalized groups of people. If I'm a parent of young kids and I'm recognizing that I may have an LGBTQ son or daughter at some point, it's going to come out. I might as well start doing what the and principle, the and approach, the and yeah. approach, um, right now. And yeah, there's not a downside to it. Like there is no downside of being loving. And even with me and my brother, my brother's straight, but he wasn't. And and w- so when she sends this text or says this thing to both of us, I'm like, oh my gosh, Anne is safe. And he's like, oh cool, Anne's nice. You know, like there, there's no, there's no bad side to that i'm seeing safe and he's seeing like oh my sister's like woke and nice and like there's nothing wrong with that you know it's a very like to me it's foolproof so i love charlie's advisors i would read everything on the church's website i'd read charlie's book i'd read tom christopher's book becky mcintosh book i've got a book coming out in september um but if you feel like you want to learn more about the space which i encourage you if you're listening right now, you're already there. Um, I think that's a great way to do that and be prepared. I think sometimes parents, just like Charlie got personal revelation, sometimes parents do get personal revelation that perhaps in a trusted, sensitive moment, sometimes this works better, moms for sons and dads for daughters, is I wouldn't close the door on if you feel unprompted and feel like the mo- moment's right to ask your kid if they're gay. I would not generally encourage that. Um, I wouldn't do that if it's a friend or a sibling, but maybe as a parent, 
you know, if, if you feel like it's the right moment, any thoughts on that, Charlie? Yeah. I was just going to add that. I think terminology is really important Good. and I've identified myself by different, I guess, labels throughout my process. Um, and the word gay was always really, really scary to me. And so depending on like your family environment and where your child may be, I might go at it with, are you more attracted to men than women or women than men? Or do you ever, and I mean, and that can even like apply to gender dysphoria and transgender. Like, do you ever feel like you wish you were like insert opposite gender here? You know, Um, just to kind of like make it a little bit more palatable and feel safer. Um, at least for me, I, like I'm totally fine identifying as gay now, but there is a certain stigma that comes with that. Um, and before I came out, I was really like aware of that stigma and scared of it. And I didn't want people to like assume that I was acting a certain way or like being something I wasn't just because I used the term gay. And so the, the word gay really scared me. I would say I am same sex attracted or I have feelings of same sex attracting attraction. Sorry. Um, and so I just think like, again, pray about it. Like, you know, your situation, you know, your kid and the, the safer you can approach it, probably the better, you know? And then if they're like, Oh no, I I call it gay, then call them gay. You know, just kind of like go from the, the easiest to digest level and move up from there. I would say. I like that advice. Go back to the labels. Just teach us about labels. Um, and you did this in the podcast with Morgan Jones. That was very helpful. Yeah. So people all the time are like, why do you have to label it? Why can't you just label yourself as a child of God? And I'm like, I do. I, I do label myself as a child of God. And the reason we use labels and words in general is just to d- describe something about ourselves. Right. So like we label ourselves by the school we attend and the like occupations and our religious affiliations, like we use labels all the time and labeling as gay does not, is not mutually exclusive with labeling yourself as a child of God. Like if I say I'm gay, that doesn't mean I reject God ever. And and we really need to get it, get out of that mindset. Um, But like I said, labels are how we convey important information about ourselves and this is something that I often find necessary to communicate, right? Like if people don't know I'm gay, then they're trying to set me up with their niece and that's just awkward. And I don't like that. And, uh, also when people do know that I'm gay, they can kind of get a read on, um, maybe some things about my journey or my experience or my past. And it kind of helps us connect. And, um, the reason I switched from labeling as same sex attracted is because that label made my feelings, it made me feel like something to run away from, right? When I said I'm experiencing feelings of same-sex attraction, in my mind, it kind of gave me this imagery of like being attacked, right? And that I needed to run for something or change. And then I didn't really like, I would say I'm so much more than my sexual attraction. Like there's more to me than that. But when I was labeling based on my sexual attraction, it kind of just made me feel like not a holistic person. And so to me, um, gay is, is one of the only terms that implies orientation without being focused solely on sex or sexual attraction. And I think there's so much more to romantic attraction than just sex. You know, there's, there's, um, emotional attraction and compatibility. And then also because I'm attracted to men in this society, 
it affects like the way I see the world and how I connect with people. And so there's, there's just so much more to it and saying same sex attraction kind of felt like a little reductive to me. So I was like, you know what? I get that there's stigma with gay, but to me that fits better. So I'm just going to call myself gay and go from there. That's very helpful to me. And your co-host on the podcast we'll talk about, um, I read his blog as a YSA Bishop and it really was helpful for me because it just taught me that I should let each person take on the label that works for them. And, and it's not my job to dictate your label. And I also recognize that you taking on gay does not mean you're leaving the church. It, it actually may make it easier for you to stay in the church and feel good about yourself and stay connected with God. Totally. And so that's just an educational thing that's been very helpful for me. But I had to listen to LGBTQ people teach me that. I couldn't, I couldn't pick that up otherwise. So that's why I'm so glad you're on the podcast. Talk about the resurrection. I just assumed that I, if I told every LGBTQ person that this would lift in the resurrection and they would be straight, that I was doing something that was helpful for them. Then I recognized for some that is helpful, but for some that is very unhelpful. Teach our listeners about that. Yeah. For me, when I hear this idea of you'll be straight in the resurrection, that immediately translate in my mind as I'm better off dead. Like that, that's kind of like the message that that conveys and whether or not that's the intent by someone who says that actually, I don't think that's ever the intent. I think they're trying to provide hope, you know, but like, I don't think my hope should be based on my orientation. I think my hope should be based on a trust in Jesus Christ. And, um, so I, 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 I kind of wish we would get out of that mindset because it, it stems from the idea that, that being gay or being same sex attracted is a defect or something that needs to be changed or fixed or altered. And if we're living under that mindset, we're not able to like value ourselves for our complete being. And like I said, fulfill the measure of our creation. Um, and I believe I was created this way for a purpose and, um, and honestly, I, I can't say exactly what's going to happen. You know, I, I've had some pretty strong personal revelation for what I believe about my spirit and my soul after, like during the resurrection. I can't speak for everyone, but I just don't think that's a helpful idea. I agree with that. And so thanks for sharing that part. And uh, kind of a sister comment is I've had the opportunity to give probably hundreds of blessings to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I have never, with the priesthood I hold, have never felt an impression to lift this or to cause this to change. Or um, I've always felt that this is a part of you that are listening, that God is just like Charlie is learning through his own personal revelation. So those of you that are giving priesthood blessings, there may be a a cultural bias or to want to fix this and to want to use your priesthood to make it go away. Or I've had one young man in tears talk about a blessing he received to have the evil gay spirit leave his body. And that didn't happen. So I think we have to, as priesthood holders, be pretty sensitive when we're giving a blessing to an LGBTQ person um, in or even out of the church. I've given many to people that are out of the church and have continue to sense God's love for them and God's desire for them to connect with God so that he can bless them. So I just caution us to be pretty careful about any cultural bias or any what we think is the best thing and be pretty open to the spirit during those blessings. Any thoughts on any of that? 
Yeah, it's helpful when we reframe things. I, I myself used to pray that the evil gay spirit would leave me. <laughs> you know, I did because that's what I thought was supposed to happen. Um, but after having experiences and starting to be more honest with myself and God, I've learned that that quote unquote evil gay spirit actually is one of my greatest spiritual strengths. It, it's such a blessing to me and, and I want it with me because it it does, it allows me to connect with people in different ways and it opens my worldview and it allows me to serve in a, in a unique way that I think my community and my church needs. And I have found ways to, to tap into like Christ-like characteristics with the way that I am. And, um, I, I don't want it cast out of me. I, I want it. I, if anything, I want it more sealed fully into me so that I can just be more myself and be more authentically good. You know, that actually put some tears in my eyes because I recognize where Charlie is with no shame and where he is with self-worth and just the great spot he's in and the example he is to other LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that you can get, and Charlie doesn't want to be put on a pedestal here, he's going to kick me under the table, but <laughs> to get where Charlie is, and then if you feel that way about you, your ability then to make better decisions. I've always felt like from our own six kids, when they face critical life decisions, we wanted them to be in the best spot they could be, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and I just recognize you're in a position of strength. And so any decisions you're going to be making in your life, you're making it in the very best Charlie Bird that you've ever been and in a great spot. And it's a credit to you. And it's a great example for other people, straight and LGBTQ, that need to get in a better spot emotionally and spiritually. Thank you. This is a, do you get crushes or on people at times? And if you do, or do you look twice, do you feel shame for that? <laughs> of do, you course. Just, do you just like straight people just recognize that's part of your journey and don't feel shame? Yeah, I, I think you have to. I, I share this. I, I do a podcast as well. And this is something I talked about last week. Um, I used to like see an attractive guy and immediately my, my visceral reaction was stop. Ew, you're gross. You're bad. Look away. Don't and just like beat myself up internally. And then I was telling a friend this and she was like, Oh, that that's, that's a lot. You know, that's, that's maybe why don't you try just being normal about it and saying, there's an attractive guy. Let's go on with my day, you know? And so I kind of started doing that. I was like, okay, I'll test that out. And I like all of the inner turmoil was just kind of like, it, it just disseminated. Right. Because then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm honoring the fact that I'm attracted to people and that I'm a human and that's it. Like that was it. And, and there, there was like no sin or lust or or like evil desire there. It was just like, oh, that's a good looking dude. Let's move on. And um, it just made life a lot easier. And so I think, you know, I thank you for saying that to not make me a poster child. I don't want that. And, and I, I really think that that everyone it needs to live according to their own values and their own personal revelation. I think that's so powerful. Um, and that we need to honor other people's agency and, and their choices moving forward. Um, but, but for me, like currently I'm not, I'm not choosing to date. Um, I'm in this space that I'm really comfortable and happy. And, but that doesn't mean I'm sealing off everything about me. Like I, I realize that being gay is so much more than attraction, but also like that's a huge component of it. And like I get crushes and I'm attracted to people and I 
talk about that with my friends and people who I trust. And I'm, I just kind of like normalize the fact that I have an, a normal orientation and that just kind of makes things easier. I think if you're trying to bottle up and suppress that, you're going to bottle up and suppress a lot more than that. And then it puts you back down into that position of shame. And I, I never want to live there again. I know what that's like. And, and so I'm, once I start feeling myself being ashamed of things, I try really hard to be aware of when that's happening. So I can say, no, I'm not going to go back there. I love that. And um, I'm, I'm very comfortable with everything you said. And I just recognize that I remember talking to somebody, not in a podcast, just, and I, and I basically said, you're going to have crushes and you're going to look twice and you need to not feel shame for that. It's just how you're wired. You're 26. I was 26 at BYU once, Charlie, and I found my wife at 28. And so of course I would have the same experiences that you had. And but if I create no shame around me having looking twice on campus towards a woman and you have total shame looking twice with a man, I recognize that that's going to put you in a really tough emotional spot. So I loved how you've sort of decriminalized that part of your experience and just it's a human part of you. There's no sin there. It's just logical. And, and even to talk about it at times with trusted friends to me takes the shame out of it and just helps you be in a better spot. So if I'm your parent, your priesthood leader, I think I need to recognize it's just part of your journey yeah. versus shut that part of your you know journey off. Um, talk about, you shared this in the podcast with Morgan Jones that I thought was fascinating. Um, you read the Book of Mormon through the lens of a gay Latter-day Saint. Uh-huh. Um, just, and it was so helpful for you. Share with our listeners that. Yeah, it... So I've always loved the Book of Mormon. I've always had a really strong testimony of it. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of like why I stick around. I, I really believe in the power of the Book of Mormon. And I love the way it teaches about Jesus Christ. Um, that being said, for a long time, I would read it. And there was always this tone of like, the Book of Mormon will make me straight. Right. So I would read things like the straight and narrow path or beware of pride. And like these kind of like catchphrases in the Book of Mormon were like, a way for me to double down and be like, yeah, like I need to be straight and live on the straight and narrow path and not have pride. Um, <clears throat> and so one time, and, and it's, it's so funny, but like, I realized that I, I was, I was, I was out to everyone. I, I don't know. I wasn't quite out publicly, but like everyone in my life, my ward, my family, my friends, I was living in New York, everything. Like I was just completely me. And I was in a really good space. And I was reading the Book of Mormon one day and it, it said the straight and narrow path. And I was like, gotta be straight. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like Charlie, it, it, it was shocking to me that I was kind of reverting back to that. And then it made me realize that perhaps my scripture study was still living under this idea that in order to be righteous or good, I couldn't be gay. And I, I was sitting with that for a while and I was like, Huh, that's really interesting. So I decided that I would get a copy of the Book of Mormon and read it through a completely new lens, the lens of being a gay disciple of Christ, which which is new territory. Like, like to me, it's new, but, but like... What a great term, a gay disciple of Christ. Yeah, and, and I think, I wonder if that causes friction for people when they hear it, you know? Um, I hope not. Yeah. And well, it, it probably would have for me a couple of years ago, you know, but I'm like, I'm gay. I'm a disciple of Christ. 
I'm going to read this book of Mormon as a gay disciple of Christ. So I, I was trying to think about like the question I needed most answered. And I was like, Ooh, it's pretty, it's pretty, um, I don't know if progressive is the right word, but I was like, I don't, this is a big question that I don't think the book of Mormon can answer, but whatever, I'll just do an experiment. So I wrote my question and I resisted the urge to write like a watered down, easier version of it. And I was like, no, this is exactly what I need to know right now. So I wrote it very specifically in the front. And then I read the entire thing through the lens of that question as a gay disciple of Christ. And it was so incredible to see like these chambers of the Book of Mormon unlock and like this new information in the way I digested the words and felt the spirit was just, it was, it was, it just opened so much and I could not like, you know how sometimes you're reading the scriptures and you're like, Oh, I have to read another chapter and totally not that experience. I could not put this down. Like I'd be invited to a party. And so I get on the subway and I'd be reading it. I'm in grand central station. I'm reading, I'm in central park. It's on my lunch break. I'm just like highlighting going crazy on the book of Mormon. And I was like, I was shocked because here I am It's 20, I guess it was 20, 18. It was the end of the year. It was October. I took the month of October to read it. And, um, I'm like a cosmopolitan gay man in New York city. And the words of ancient prophets are like giving me spiritual and practical advice on how to go about my day and accept myself and interact with others. And it was just a really, really beautiful experiment experience. And that to me, it was kind of like another, you know, uh, there, there were always a ton of hints and indications that you like everywhere in society, there's indications that you can't be gay and a disciple of Christ. But to me, I was like, the book of Mormon is telling me that I can. And like, that's a good indication. And so it kind of built my faith in the fact that I can really accept who I am, um, all parts of me, my faith and my orientation. And it was a really beautiful experience. That's fascinating to me. I love that part of your story. And it's so helpful to others that may need to reread the Book of Mormon with your lens on. I did a similar thing, Charlie. I led, read the Book of Mormon through the lens of an LGBTQ ally and, uh, and an ally to marginalized groups. And it was fascinating to read the Book of Mormon that way. And I remember reading in Nephi, the mysteries of God are given to him that diligently seeketh. And then it sort of talks about by the power of the Holy Ghost. And, yeah. and that hit me really strong. I thought, well, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints are a mystery. You know, why would God create someone LGBTQ? It was, but then it taught me what I needed to do as an ally is I need to diligently seek. And Heavenly Father told me diligently seeking was listening mostly to LGBTQ people and especially, and parents like your mother, Kathy, um, that's parenting an LGBTQ child because they often have great insights and that, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, that I would better understand Heavenly Father's LGBTQ children. So, it's interesting we both have come to the Book of Mormon with a different lens on at time, trying to understand a space. Yeah, it's it was really cool for me to break free of like the restrictions that I was putting on my like religious practice. Um, I can say that better. Like, th there were like cultural assumptions I was making and like societal bounds that I was putting on my experience of reading the book of Mormon. And when I like forced myself to break those, I received so much more revelation. I love that. Talk about, um, bridal. There's a scripture that 
you talked about it, maybe you've already mentioned it um, on the podcast uh, with All In about bridle your passions. Yeah, that's a perfect segue because just that, talk about that. That was one of my like catchphrases, and and for a long time, this um, the scripture in Alma where Alma's counseling his son Shiblon to bridle his passions was kind of like my mantra for being straight, like for suppressing my um, same sex orientation. And I would say bridle my passions, like strap them down, choke them out, like control. And um, as I was, you know, it didn't work. It made me feel stressed. And it was so funny. I was always confused because Alma says, bridle your passions that you may be filled with love. And I was bridling my passions, but it was filling me with hate, a lot of self-hate and then jealousy for people who I thought weren't bridling their passions, people who had entered in the same sex relationships or were dating. I was jealous and angry and, and annoyed at them. And then I just hated myself. Um, so I was kind of like, again, I think sitting in discomfort is so healthy and leaning into things that are confusing. So that's what I tried to do. And I was looking at the scripture and then I, I was like, okay, well, what's a bridle? And I was like, Charlie, you, you grew up on a ranch. You know exactly what a bridle is. And a bridle, you, you put on the horse, um, not to control it or suppress it, but to guide it in a healthy way and make sure that the horse and rider are kind of like united. And um, it, it, it causes like the horse to be very productive. And I realized like this switch from bridling being like complete domination, choke them out, kill them to bridling being guide them in a healthy way. And so that was kind of like the scriptures telling me that I kind of needed to let up a little bit and, and be okay with a little bit of flexibility there, but still within like appropriate bounds. So rather than just try to suppress myself, I was like, I'm going to set boundaries that I feel are healthy and I'm going to kind of like let this work in me and see what happens. And I'm going to pray and check in to see how I should adjust those boundaries. And that's been a much more healthy way for me to live. Um, it allows me to navigate and kind of control my own life. And it's, it's a much less stagnant approach. And it did fill me with love. It, it, it made me feel like God trusted me and it made me trust myself more as well. I love that. And one of the themes of Charlie is, the, and is a theme I've picked up, is a lot of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints aren't getting a lot of lessons in church um, about how to walk this road. There's not... Um, an LGBTQ Sunday school class or an owner's manual or, and so I've recognized often a maturity level, Charlie's 26 that I don't often, that comes with, I think you've had to go deep to really figure things out for yourself. You haven't had an owner's manual. You haven't had people that have gone 10, 20, 30 years ahead of you. And there's just this stream of people that you can look to and say, this is how I do this. Cause there's not a lot of examples in your life of doing it the way you're trying to do it. And so I think that's a principle for all of us, though, is I think sometimes we almost become too dependent on the church for every answer in our lives. I think maybe the senior leaders of the church are nervous about that, is that they, as I listen to them talks, I hear at times this idea of personal revelation, and even the ministering program is sort of take responsibility for the people. Don't just make it a checkbox. You've actually got to figure out what's going on in their lives and help them. So I think our leaders are trying to push us towards owning our own lives and personal revelation and a personal relationship with heavenly parents. And the church is a means to accomplish that. Um, any thoughts on any of that? Yeah. I, I think if I wouldn't have done that, I would have lost a part of myself. 
Um, because like I said, society told me in church culture told me it was one or the other, but I'm both, you know, so I would have had to give up a very integral and part important part of who I am. Had I not, um, taken ownership over my own testimony. I, I think, you know, like looking at the church as a structure and like faith and like testimony building as kind of like steps and a structure that, that really helps at first. Like when, when a kid's young, you teach them about, um, good and bad and black and white, because that's how like the brain processes. But as you get older, you realize that there are a lot more than that. And there's this entire like spectrum between those two things. And I think we do that really well with like, um, secular education. But I think when it comes to our, our like religiousness, our testimony, sometimes we, we stay in that like black and white mentality and it, it, it just, it, it kind of inhibits your spiritual growth. You know, it, for me, I, I've really, it's scary. It's scary to step out in this area of like ambiguity and grayness, especially with my faith. But I've realized that as I do that, that's when I'm closest to God. And that's when my faith actually starts working because when you're in the wilderness, you know what, this, this is cool too. Like you look at the book of Mormon, it's all journeys through the wilderness, right? God calls so many people to journey through the wilderness and says, you're going to trust me day by day and you're going to check in. And that's how you're going to be led to the promised land. Like that is a theme of the book of Mormon. I think currently, I don't know if we're really doing that collectively as a, as a church, you know, we're wanting to, to either be in the promised land or be in old Jerusalem. And people who are in the wilderness, it, it's scary. You know, there's animals, like sometimes you have to eat raw meat and you break your bow and like all these scary, terrifying things happen in the wilderness. But that's when your faith actually grows. That's when you have to trust God because there's nothing else to trust. And that's when you can feel more confident in your own faith and your own faith building process and developing your own testimony. And I just think like, like to me, that's what the gospel is that that's personal revelation. And, um, it, and it acts as like an antidote to any jealousy of where somebody else is because everyone's at a different spot in a different wilderness. And we have to be okay with that and realize that like someone else's wilderness does not, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I feel like I was really eloquent and all, isn't it? Well, it, it, it doesn't like, uh, Transfer conflict with my conflict. wilderness, you know? And I don't know, that's, that's just such a beautiful point. And I, personal revelation is, is scary because sometimes I, I'm, I'm going to keep ranting. Is that okay? Like, I want to talk about authenticity real quick. Um, I, this is an argument I have that like, if you become too authentic, then you start accepting the bad things about you, right? Like authenticity can, is kind of sometimes confused with complacency, I think. So, um, and, and for me, that was something I struggled with for a long time. Cause like, I'm trying to be authentic, but is accepting my orientation a bad thing? Is that becoming overly authentic? And I think that's scary because like with personal revelation, it comes with like kind of a, a compliment of almost anarchy sometimes. Um, but real authenticity and real, because we're children of God, because we have divine heritage, true authenticity and, and true, um, like, like acceptance comes with the obligation, like the moral responsibility to pray 
and, and use the spirit to understand. So, so to me, it's just so much less scary, you know, like, like personal revelation could be anarchy, but if it is anarchy, it's not personal revelation. You know what I mean? Like, like the way to verify your personal revelation or your authenticity is to pray and receive spiritual promptings. And, um, and that's just so beautiful. Like accepting myself, becoming more authentic. Yeah. There are things about me that I still want to change, but through prayer and introspection, I've realized that my orientation is not one of those things is not one of those things. That's something that, that is meant to be part of me and that I need to be authentic with and hold on to. And, um, I don't know. That's just, that's just cool. You know, I really love that. And I know during my YSA assignment and what we try to do as parents is to teach our kids to get personal revelation for their lives. Younger kids, we obviously make a lot of decisions before them, but as we're helping them move into adulthood and our kids are kind of your age, Charlie, um, and the YSA is obviously your age. I, they sometimes came, Bishop, what should I do? when I served as a bishop, and I was pretty reluctant to tell them what to do. I wanted to teach them principles of getting personal revelation versus answering questions for what they should do. And that's exactly what you've done in your life, and I think is a, a pillar of the doctrine of our church. Talk about this idea of vulnerability equals connection. Yeah, it kind of goes back to living in shame. Once you open this conduit of, uh, of bringing something to someone, there's, there's a humanness there and, and you can like connect to the human. I, um, <clears throat> when I started coming out to people, I was very scared to do so. I didn't want it to change the relationship as I, I mentioned before, but by being vulnerable and kind of like sharing the most secretive or deepest parts of me with someone, I realized that, um, I could be accepted, but also that there's like commonalities among people, right? I I've made a lot of growth that has stemmed directly from me trying to figure out how to be gay in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. And, but there's other people who make growth in different ways. And it's cool when you kind of like bring forth your stories or your experiences and like share your testimony, other people grow. And like, even right now we're both sharing things. And I think it's safe to say that both you and I have learned a lot just from this conversation. True. And um, like, there's things I'm going to, I'm going to listen to this and write down thoughts that had never really been vocalized to me before. And it's because we're being vulnerable and we're connecting and, and growing. And so I think that's an eternal principle. I, I certainly didn't understand that principle. I've always thought being vulnerable for men in particular was a sign of weakness. Um, but I've learned to be more vulnerable and that makes me, connections, the word you use, I love that authentic connection is the road to healing. And as, as, as I'm vulnerable in appropriate situations, that it helps me heal and connect and grow in a way that wasn't possible. And it to me, it's just a higher law, and it's part of being a man. It's a Christ-like attribute. Talk about, and then I want to move on, talk about what the Scripture, perfect love casteth out fear, means to you. I guess I would just go back to that, that space where I was projecting rejection. Um, and as soon as I brought that forward and was met with love, like, like a perfect love and unconditional love, that fear was gone, just, just completely dissolved. Um, and, and that was my experience with God as well. When, when I finally felt his perfect love and, and allowed myself to feel it, when I, when I peeled back my layers and, and like showed my full self to God, I felt perfect love. 
and it, it blasted away all of the fear I felt from my past and for my future. I just love that scripture. And I think um, in our own faith, I've had kind of a fear-based mentality for a lot of years. And as I've, I would call it maybe matured, I don't have much fear, Charlie. I don't have much fear because I, if I feel like I really own our doctrine and I really own heavenly parents that love us and we're all the same brothers and sisters, the same, I don't have a lot of fear right now. Yeah, I fear ISIS. I don't, and I fear sex trafficking and some of the divisiveness. So there's things in our society I'm deeply concerned about, but I don't have a lot of fear anymore. And I think it's partly just because I've better understood our doctrine and haven't really bought into sort of some of the us versus them fear narrative that sometimes can create community, but it creates community around fear versus love. And to me, it's not the highest law. I want to talk about your brother, Sam. I think he's home from a mission. I think I'm... Yeah seen some pictures of him home and um i think he's your only brother and he's younger uh-huh yeah talk about your hike on Kilim- mount kilimanjaro yeah so well i'll preface this by saying that my dad's crazy and my <laughs> Was dad your dad there too yeah yeah my dad and my little sister hannah we were on a summer trip and uh my parents are divorced and so we it just kind of my older sisters are married with kids and it kind of just like unfolded into this situation where me and sam and hannah my little sister would spend summers with our dad and my dad has this wild idea that he wants to hike Mount Kilimanjaro and we're like, cool, but also like, we can't just hike it next week. And he's like, why not? Let's just go there. And so, you know, he travels a lot for work and he understands, um, um, kind of how Africa works. So we show up and, and we just kind of like negotiate our way to this, this like hostel and we're staying there and we have no supplies. Like we have nothing. And, uh, we're figuring things out and like you're supposed to you're supposed to hire a porter to carry your stuff up the mountain and he's like we we're birds we don't need no porters we're going to carry everything so anyway we end up carrying uh like 65 pound bags of <laughs> it's just ridiculous and we're like okay i guess we'll hike mount kilimanjaro and we only had enough food to last for like four and a half days and so he's like we can get to the top and back in four and a half days and we're like our father is insane. <laughs> but uh, we're like, whatever, let's shoot for it and see what happens. So it's day one on the hike. I have Me and Sam both have 65 pounds on our backs. It is hot. We're in the jungle. Um, but it's incredible. Like, amazing. And just kind of like surreal, the fact that like it just happened so fast. And and I actually kind of love that part of my dad because it, it it's exciting. And I love thrill and adventure. And so we're all just really happy. Um, so Sam, at this point, he was a senior in high school. He'd kind of had his growth spurt. We're the same size. We're both in good shape and we we're just trucking out and feeling good. And we were together like ahead on the trail and, um, we were talking and, and I was just thinking he was preparing to come to BYU with me in the fall. And this was, uh, just a couple days after that experience I'd had in the DC temple that was so moving. And I'd promised God back when I was in the temple that whenever I'd felt prompted to come out to someone that I would. Um, and, and I decided to make coming out a spiritual experience and, and just see where I needed to do that. And it, it kind of, you said like being vulnerable in appropriate situations. Um, I was like, I, I want to make sure I get this right. So I'm going to, to check in with God and he can tell me when. And, uh, I'm walking with Sam and I'm thinking about everything. I'm just trying to process everything that's happening. 
Um, and I'm looking at the nature. It's really beautiful. And I'm just kind of like meditating there. And then Sam says, what you thinking about? And immediately I just had this like intense prompting that I needed to come out to him right then and right there. But I was really scared because like, how do you tell your little brother that you're gay? Like I can tell my sister Anne because she removed the weight of the what if. And she told me that I could trust my sister Janine and like, they're girls. They, they know what it means to be attracted to a guy. They're not repulsed or disgusted by that idea. But like, this is like my like cool, cocky, straight little brother. Um, and I, I just didn't know what he expected. And, and I started hyperventilating. I was really scared, but, and I was kind of like this internal battle of like this, you know, before you, you bear your testimony, it's like, <laughs> like, that's what I'm feeling, but just magnified to like a crazy degree. And, uh, I told Sam, I said, um, well, actually first he, he was like, dude, are you okay? Like, are you going to pass out? Like we can take a break. <laughs> and he, he actually made a joke about, cause a couple months before, um, ESPN had, had talked about how Cosmo was the world's most athletic mascot. And he's <laughs> like, dude, for being the world's most athletic mascot, you're not in very good shape. Cause I'm like, <gasps> like hyperventilating over there. And I'm like, it's not the mountain. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, don't think I'm in bad shape. <laughs> so, Funny. Like, um, anyway, so he's like, well, what is it? Like, are you like, you're obviously like having some sort of like physical fit over here. And I, I said, Sam, I'm gay. And he says, what? <laughs> like just completely caught off guard. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm not attracted to girls. I'm, I'm attracted to guys. I'm gay. And I, I need you to know that. And I watch him and I have no idea what he's going to do. And, you know, and he's young, like he's 18. And I guess, sorry, any listeners who are 18, but you're very young. I'm, I'm probably, that's probably what people think about me, but I'm like, come on, he's still in high school, you know? Um, like, and this is like a big adult complex thing. And I'm watching him try to process and I don't really know how it's doing. And he says, um, well, is it like, is it a choice? And I'm like, no, like, and so I'm kind of trying to explain to him and he doesn't really know what to say. And, and he says, well, what are you going to do? And it's kind of dawning on him that like being gay, like is coupled with extreme, like social and religious complexity. He's like, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I was, I was honest. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I, I guess kind of, I still don't really know what I'm going to do, but, but I have much more of like a, a tra trajectory than I did back then. And, uh, <clears throat> he's thinking about it. We're walking in silence for a little bit. And he says, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what you do. I love you. And I trust you. I've always trusted you. I've always looked up to you. And I know that you're going to do what's right for you. And you have my full support. This doesn't change anything. I love you. We're brothers. We're tight. And we always will be. And that was so beautiful because I was freaking out. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I'm not sure if I really trusted myself. I was still just barely stepping out into this idea that I could trust God with this or anyone else for that matter. And, um, and I, for years I'd watched people make choices and, and be in like life positions that I was scared of and that I didn't think would be healthy for me, you know? And, um, it was so empowering for him to say, I trust you. And to not try to like force a life path on me or try to fix me or tell me what to do. He just said, 
I trust you and whatever you think is best for you, I'm going to give you my full uninhibited support. I love that. Um, Sam, if you're listening, great job. And it's something that all of us can do, what Sam just did. And it came to him intuitively. Um, but I love that. Talk about, you have gay friends, I assume, that have, have um, are in same-sex marriages. How do you feel about that? How does, does that, how do you, how do you process that? Because I'm asking, because I'm thinking you're so close to that, or you would have more understanding of that road than other Latter-day Saints that are straight. And so I think it helps us to take a cue from you, how you respond to help us know how we should respond. Yeah, I think one of the, the first things that God did when he created man was to give us agency, right? That's one of our first gifts. And it's, it's such a beautiful idea. It's, and, and to me, like agency isn't so much like the choice between right and wrong. It's more about like the ability to choose the ability to be flexible and, and have like control over our own life path. And we were just talking about personal revelation and how different people are called to do different things or live different ways. And I've seen that for me, the way that I feel prompted to honor myself or like um, manage this part of me has changed pretty dramatically depending on where I'm at and what I know and like my life position. And um, I think it's so powerful when we, when we are, are godlike and honor other people's agency. Um, I'm thrilled when my gay friends get married. It makes me so happy and, and to see them find love and acceptance and, and make a big decision and commit themselves to like another child of God and, and like make promises to like hold on and love each other. That's so nice. You know, that's a beautiful thing. And it makes me happy to see that they're living according to their own values and in making decisions based out of faith and love. At the same time, I'm thrilled when my friends are in a good place if they're choosing to remain single. You know, I like <laughs> remaining single is is kind of like difficult and weird. And there's a lot of people who I, I think sometimes um, make it out of that decision out of fear. But if they're like honestly owning their life and saying, no, no, I recognize that I have so many options. I can do whatever I want, but this is where I believe I need to fit. I'm so happy for them, you know? And so I guess just like when you boil it down, I'm happy when people are living life according to their own values. And that doesn't, um, that doesn't conflict with my beliefs or my life path or my personal revelation because someone else is doing something different. And I also don't believe that showing support or love to someone is a compromise of moral values. Um, and so if, if one of my friends is doing, making like a conscious decision that they want to do and they feel like it's adding value to their life, I'm, I'm really happy. What would you say to LDS parents that have a child um, going to a same-sex marriage you may get those kind of messages at time. I've got a kid going into a same-sex marriage. I don't quite know what to do. Should I go to the marriage? Should I not? Should I support them? Should I not? Any just general advice for LDS parents? Yeah, I guess just the same thing. Showing love and acceptance or support isn't a compromise of moral values. Um, I, I, I don't think that there's any obligation to, to say, you know, it, it, I struggle sometimes thinking when people are like, 
I, I love you, so I'm going to be here, but I, I want you to know that I don't agree with what you're doing. Like, oof, that's, that's not the right approach we need to be taking, you know? And, and if your child feels like this is something they need to do and that they want to do, um, isn't it more important to just be loving and, and keep them around? Um, I think sometimes if, if we like try to show moral superiority, it throws up walls and it's going to make them a little bit more closed off. And, and why would we want to close ourselves off to the people who are most important to us? I like that. And I've said this on the podcast before. Sometimes we make, we create a false dichotomy in our brains that to fully love and follow God, we have to stop loving some of his children. I think the things you're teaching us, Charlie, is that we don't need that false dichotomy. I put on Instagram a few months ago, um, please don't take one LDS LGBTQ person's story and make it the right path for other LGBTQ people. Each LDS LGBTQ person needs to get personal revelation from heavenly parents for their path. Let's love our LGBTQ friends because they deserve to be loved, not because they choose a particular path. Are you okay with that? Is Are you okay that just, and, and maybe a question that they'll ask is, I'm sure there's people outside the church um, that have left the church that feel for you to fully embrace being gay, you need to leave the church also. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you respond to that 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 thought? Yeah, I, I, I've learned that I need to be, that, that weighs on me sometimes. It, it's tough. And I, I get where that comes from. I really do. Um, I try to just be confident and present with where I'm at. I'm, I'm in my own wilderness to use that term again. And, um, the older I get, the more I understand myself, the more I realize that I need to hold on to my faith and my orientation in order to completely be me. And if I reject either one of those, then I'm, I'm not going to be happy. And I've, I've tried to reject. And like I said, usually I've leaned on the side of rejecting my, like historically I've leaned on the side of rejecting my orientation and that makes me depressed and anxious and, and, and just feel bad. And I've I've kind of like <clears throat> toyed with the idea of leaving the church. And that also just feels really wrong. It, it doesn't feel like I would be able to live a fulfilled life um, without both of the, those pieces of me. And so I guess my response to that would be that there's, there's intersectionality within the LGBTQ community, right? There's not one way to be gay. There's not one overarching culture. And being gay has a culture, but is not just culture. Right. And, um, and so I, I, like, I don't, I feel like it's, it's better when we're not threatened by other people's life choices, you know, and, um, I, I, I respect them and their choices and, and I hope they respect mine too, because I'm just doing what I need to do to find my own personal happiness. I really like that. And I just love this principle that you're teaching is everybody needs to find their path and we can't weaponize one path and tell another person, this is the way you do it. I don't think living your truth. I hear that living your truth to you is a personal feeling about how best to do that. It's not a societal confirmation that to live your truth, you've got to go down this path. So I just think we the maturity of where we need to be is to honor everybody's path. Yeah, and, and people's paths change. You know, I for a while there I I did look up to people as like a poster child or like I'm gonna be like this. And then their path would change and then that would like hurt me. I would take it personally. Um and I, I think we just have to allow each other to be dynamic and 
and and I, I kind of that's the point of life, right? Like that's that's the entire reason that that Christ atoned for us so that we could readjust and learn and and like path is not like life is not just like a straight shot. It it it, it moves and ebbs and flows and there's different places we need to sit in to learn different things. And um I'm sh- like you have to be open to that, you know? If I had 10 26-year-olds in the room right now, Charlie, that are um, your age, gay, Latter-day Saints in the church, I think a lot of them would say, I, like you do, I don't know exactly what my future is. Um, I'm going to just live. I, I'm doing the best I can right now. And I recognize that out of those 10, if I have those 10 26-year-olds in 5, 10 years, some of those are going to be in same-sex marriages. I would say the majority will be. And I think that's probably my experience too. What I would hope is that I would be just, I would, I wouldn't make them the hero one day and the villain the next day. That I, as a Latter-day Saint, would just recognize they have a a difficult set of circumstances that I never faced. And I would just continue to love and support them. And my relationship with them wouldn't change at all. And everything doctrinally that I read about the mission of Christ and his love and support of people and my responsibility not to be another person's judge would just allow me to not have fear and just perfect love and leave it at the Savior's feet. But from a pragmatic perspective, recognize that most probably would find their way into a same-sex marriage. And then I would hope that instead of pointing to them as the villain, I recognize that that would meant potentially a lot of anger and bitterness. And I would add to their load and maybe make it harder for them to have kind feelings for people that stay in the church. So I think part of my responsibility is how I'd respond to somebody that steps away and feel this is their path, or even look at me and say, I've received personal revelation that this is my path. And I recognize that it's not my personal revelation doesn't give me the right to judge another person's revelation. I should just honor how that person feels. Yeah. And I hope in the future, the decision to pursue a same-sex relationship doesn't um, inhibit someone's ability to stay in the church. Talk more about that. I So I, I've been going to um, the Manhattan YSA ward for the past couple of years, living in New York, and there's a lot of LGBTQ people in New York. Um, I don't know why. We just kind of all go there. Um, but there, there were multiple couples, same-sex couples, who would come to church and, and worship with us and come to activities and be a part of the ward. And they were comfortable and accepted. And there was a space where everyone felt like they could connect with God and that they could worship and, and find community and find grace. And I, I, I would really hope that in the future, um, the decision to be in the same sex relationship doesn't inhibit that. Um, and so I think we, we kind of have to check ourselves and say, am I, am I a stumbling block? Am I being a stumbling block to someone's ability and comfort to connect with God. And we should never do that. And, and sometimes by, by judging and making the villain, like you were just saying, that's saying you're not welcome here. You're not good enough to connect with God. And I don't think that's ever the case. I think we can always reach towards God. And um, I would love to see a church culture where um, gay couples and lesbian couples and transgender individuals come and, and, we, we scoot down on the pew and say, Hey, come sit by me. There, there's space here for you. 
Um, that's, that's my dream. I share the same dream. And I look at a doctrinal foundation of the example of Christ to help be with everybody and help everybody feel worthy. And he, and to do that, he invited them to dinner, table fellowship. That was a sign of what you're communicating in a ward that he did in his own personal ministry. And I've always felt the gate is wide at the congregational level, Charlie, that there's no belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome in an LDS congregation, that some of that obviously occurs to go to the temple, but we have, we should just do what you said, because I think that's exactly what Christ would want us to do. And then it gives, and the point you make is I haven't really thought of it, then it helps more people feel the ability to connect with God and make better decisions in their life, because we, as Latter-day Saints, are helping them feel welcome in our congregation. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I'm just happy to be here. I'm really excited to read your book when it comes out in September. Well, you're very kind. And my book is um, called Listen, Learn, and Love. It's the name of the podcast, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And it's a little bit of my story, but it's really my life mission is to amplify LGBTQ voices. So there's hundreds of stories in there from LDS parents and LGBTQ. And um, But I encourage everybody to read Charlie's book um, without without the mask how ironic given coronavirus oh right I, I definitely named this book before there was a worldwide pandemic <laughs> but the visual of the mask and cosmo and what you've done is so impactful for all of us coming out and coming into god's light and i would encourage people to read this book even not trying to learn more about lgbtq you will but you will this book will just help everybody um, just have better tools to connect in a more authentic, vulnerable, healthy way. Talk about your podcast. We haven't gotten to your podcast. I want to make sure that we plug your podcast that you and Ben Shalati are doing. Yeah, thanks for remembering. I do a, a podcast with Ben Shalati. It's called Questions from the Closet. And essentially, we just wanted to take on some of these um, taboo or scary questions and make them like... Ha- like listenable, you know, like uh, there's a lot of people who are either closeted or kind of like apprehensive about entering the space or just don't have the time or the resources to connect with information. And so, um, we decided we would set up this podcast. The format is we take a question and we just take about 30 minutes and invite a guest and we discuss the question. We're not really trying to come to like an answer or a definitive yes or no, or this or that but simply just share our perspectives and kind of like our growth experience around that question. And we've so far covered some pretty cool topics. We've um, talked about reconciling church policy and, you know, like, am I gay? Should I come out? How should I come out? What do I do if my patriarchal blessing says that I'll get married in the temple, but I'm gay, like just some, some kind of hard things, but really relevant topics that a lot like questions we've had and questions a lot of people have too. And, yeah, it's it's on all podcasting platforms. It's called Questions from the Closet. And if if you're not sick of me yet, you can you can find me there. <laughs> it's a really good podcast. I encourage our lis- the listeners here to go to that podcast. I'm in a couple of parents groups that you're not in because you're not a parent with LGBTQ kids. I don't have any kids, but they've invited me in those groups. And your podcasts are being shared a lot in those groups. Oh, that's nice. Um, that makes me happy. And you're answering questions that parents have about this space, they're kind of doing the same thing you do. They don't have an owner's manual or a lot of Relief Society or Elder Quorum uh, 
lessons to rely on. So they're having to dig deep to get personal revelation, but your podcast is very helpful. Well, that's kind of our time limit. Um, thank you, Charlie Bird, and thank you, our listeners. Please check out Charlie's book at Desert Book or Amazon. Read it, share it. It's a great book that'll help us come better as the body of Christ. And Charlie, glad to have you in my home. You have a life, wonderful life mission. You personally helped me be a better disciple of Christ. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.